This is Point of Scale, the podcast covering disruption, innovation, and what is happening next in the world of retail. From transactional security to omnichannel enablement, what does it mean? Why is it important? The world of retail is evolving. Hear why from the people who are making it happen. This is Point of Scale, presented by MarketScale. Hello and welcome. This is Point of Scale presented by MarketScale. I am your host, head of retail here at MarketScale, James Preble. Thank you for joining us today. Point of Scale is a podcast dedicated to diving into the innovation, products, and organizations that are changing and shaping the retail technology space. From the in-store experience To e-commerce, we cover it all straight from the leaders and experts that are making it happen. On today's episode, among all of the buzzwords in the world of business, and there are many, there are probably two that reign supreme when it comes to being overused to emphasize your organization as being on the forefront of your industry, data and analytics. Enterprise organizations from AWS to IBM are filling the airwaves, presenting business leaders with solutions to manage their data better or to maximize analytics to deliver better insights. And while these terms have become some sort of business magic across many industries, mass merchants like Walmart, Costco, and Target have been utilizing countless terabytes of in-store and online purchase information to drive their decision-making for the better part of two decades. While we may not immediately think of these brands as being on the forefront of technology, in terms of retail analytics, no one has been doing it longer or better than your neighborhood big box store. Joining us today to discuss the fascinating world of retail analytics, I am honored to welcome Paul Sproles to Point of Scale. Paul currently serves as the Director of Category Management for Ocean Spray Cranberries. Prior to joining Ocean Spray, Paul has worked in some of the most recognizable organizations in the world of consumer goods, including Reckitt Benkiser, Pfizer, Kimberly Clark, Procter & Gamble, and Gillette. Paul is a close friend of mine and a mentor, so it is truly an honor to have him on the show today. Joining us from the retail capital of the world, Bentonville, Arkansas, I'd like to welcome Paul Sproles to Point of Scale. Paul, thank you for joining me today. James, it's an absolute pleasure. I am thankful that I'm going to get some time with you today. I would say that... um, there are very few people who do what I do who have the the joy of doing what I do. And it probably sounds like the dumbest thing you may have heard. But I think since the start of my career, whatever, as you said, those words are, um, it what drives me every day. So uh, to get the opportunity to talk about something that sounds quite boring for the average uh, person out there, um, I'm I'm excited to be here. Well, I don't think you you host a podcast about retail technology like I do uh, without uh, engaging in that nerdism that you just described as well. So you are in a familiar circle when it when it comes to that aspect of of retail analytics truly being your your passion. 
And I, I would say it, it truly has been your professional passion for your entire career. But the va- the the term retail analytics is is very vague. So for our listeners, when you hear the term retail analytics, what does that mean to you specifically? So I've often said that there are there are many disciplines within corporate America, right? There are, you know, supply chain, finance, revenue management, sales, operations. Um, a lot of those are extremely well focused, right? There's a, a very linear um, request response action to it. Um, retail analytics is knowing everything about everything that's ever been done always. It is the, it is the ability to know everything that has happened in, you know, consumer mindsets, the economy, what, um, your retailer. It's also about projecting out the future. On a day-to-day basis, the reality is we are a very marketing-driven world, right? We are a consumption-based culture, 336 million people making decisions every single day that are uh, causing people to be either hired or fired based off of that, that output. Um, and retail analytics is the idea that we can solve what I would say is the unsolvable, right? Which is anticipating the human experience through purchasing. It's, it's a baffling concept, I think, when people start to realize that, you know, every second there are hundreds of millions of people making decisions that we try to put analytics behind. We try to find data points that tell a story. Um, and I think it's it's a beautiful artistic concept. It's also very difficult to actually put in. Supply chains very focused, right? There there are nodes, there's outputs, there's timing. You need to be um, you know in full, et cetera. Those are things that are I think people could wrap their hands around. Um, but when I try to explain to people what I do, I I, I need to I need to provide advice uh, through analytics and you know the research to everybody, right? There's people upstream in the marketing and brand teams. There are innovation uh, groups that we work with that are trying to figure out what the next, you know, X popular demographic is going to want to purchase in the, you know, my categories juice. Um, But it's also about projecting out what might happen when we have torrential rains. Does that affect watermelon flavor sales? You know, it's, you know, I have to know regionally, Do are there giant sporting events that go on in Tacoma in order to figure out how much inventory needs to go to? So um, so I wish there was an easier answer, Jim, James. I think there's, um, it's as easy as new minus old divided by old is the percentage change, but it's as complex as, you know, machine learning and AI trying to figure out what, James Preble will want to buy on a Thursday after he had his first child knowing there's a Green Bay Packer game on. And you're like, okay, I guess he wants pizza. So that's that's the, the quick answer to it. <laughs> the correct answer would be Johnsonville Brats and, and Miller Lite. So uh, <laughs> if it was a Thursday after my first child was born and the Packers <laughs> were playing on Thursday night football, Miller Lite and Johnsonville Brats are the – I should have just called you directly to get the answer instead of trying to figure it out through math. My bad. 
But but that's a a great. Uh, I I know that that explanation does kind of sound like trying to you know answer nothing and everything at the same time and find that balance. But that's really what I was trying to get at in my introduction is that there is so much data out there, especially in the world of mass uh, retail, that a lot of times you know it, it can feel like. Um, you know, we're just collecting data for the sake of data. I often think that that's what a lot of companies get get caught up into. But then there are truly insights that can make or break massive multinational billion dollar organizations from the insights that this information can deliver, right? Exactly. And so, so in that spirit, with all of the information that is available, and, and again, what I was uh, getting at in my introduction is that today it seems like, or, or rather every day it seems like there are new sources of information uh, and new amounts of information that you have to deal with. I always think about one of my, my favorite book title from one of my favorite books, which is uh, the Signal and the Noise by the statistician Nate Silver. And I, I think that perfectly encapsulates it. So with, with everything that you have at your disposal from an information standpoint, you know, what do you look for to keep you grounded? What are the KPIs? What are the sources of information that you are really relying upon on a daily, monthly, quarterly, annual basis in order to really get those insights? This is probably not the answer you were expecting, but um, I, the the only KPI is, do I understand the stakeholders and the problem I'm trying to solve? Because you're absolutely right. The reality is even a company like Ocean Spray, which is nowhere close to the size of Procter & Gamble or Walmart or, or, or those, we have so many tools, right? It's a, it's, it's a complex uh option to try to figure out how to use every tool correctly and to, to get it out efficiently, et cetera. So what I've learned is that you can, you can go ahead and, you know, famously go look at the billion points of light and you can try to like hone it in and somehow create fire, or you can try to figure out what you're trying to solve. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I do is I, re I remember all the time to say, I'm dealing with humans. Humans make the decisions, right? So can I tell you a story, Jim, James, that you are, you know, in exact height, exact weight, um, that you are a special person? I can put an entire story together that is absolutely perfectly true. And you can still tell me it's not. You can still say, so what? You can still say, but someone else told me I'm taller and richer. So the the what I try to do is on a constant basis, I look at you know, I work on multiple, um, you know, I have multiple, you know, brand managers, salespeople I deal with. Everyone is treated uniquely. Um, one time I was asked what my superpower is and my superpower is empathy. My ability to understand where you're coming from helps me solve the problems that you need to be solved, which is what most of us really want, right? Uh, everybody wants to be rich and tall and all that. I get it. But we want the problem solved. And some days you're dealing with people who really just need something to walk into a room and say, I did something good, right? So sometimes you just need to give your buyers, your internal people, you know, a victory. Sometimes you need to solve a problem that doesn't seem like it's right in their way. I remember when I was um, in the milk industry with Dean Foods, 
it, it was this constant state of like, how do we get more distribution? How do we get more distribution? How do we get more distribution? And after really listening to our buyer talk, he didn't really care about more distribution because he sold so much milk. It was impossible to fathom. But what he did have a problem with was logistics. He dealt with far too many manufacturers. He was tired of dealing with all the trucks. He was tired of dealing with people coming, you know, calling him up saying, why don't we have a promote, you know, et cetera. So I put an entire program together for this buyer around going to exclusive vendors in the communities that you already do, you know, the bulk of your large, uh, large volume milk. And next thing you know, Dean Foods has this huge rush of, you know, new, uh, new supply for other areas of our business. And it was as though I had unleashed an explosion in that buyer. He was like, I didn't even know that was what the problem I was trying. Like, he didn't realize that's okay. Your problem for me, for you listening to us was this other problem. And I tried to solve that. So you're right. The reality is there is, if you just look at Walmart, the amount of ones and zeros that come out of that place is overwhelming. Add that to third-party vendors who are providing video analysis 24 hours a day for us. You got all the in-store technology that Walmart now has that's tracking all of our, you know, all of our behaviors. There's credit card data, loyalty data. It's too much if you don't know what you want to do, right? It's like anything else. I've got a thousand projects around this house. I have to focus on what I want to get done. And too many people get caught up with, look at all this amazing data. Okay, well, what are you doing with it, right? So the, my favorite book is the book of why. It's about you know causation versus correlation. It's about like trying to, trying to hone in on the test, the hypothesis you're trying to solve for. Not every test. That's, I just don't have that kind of time. So you're right. It's a lot. You have to choose what's, what's important to solve the problem you're facing at today, which will not be the same problem you're going to face tomorrow for business person Y instead of business person X. So if it, I, I appreciate that answer. And I, I, I couldn't agree more, which is, which is shocking because I introduced you as my, my mentor on at the top of the show. But, it, you know, I know that everyone makes a reference to this piece when when they're having the discussion on analytics. It, it feels cliche at this point, but it reminds me of the scene in Moneyball where they're sitting around the scouting table. Brad Pitt keeps repeating, he gets on base, and they talk about how the player you know isn't reliable uh, if he's playing third on that day instead of first. But the the problem the A's were trying to solve was that no one gets on base. And so they were getting players that get on base. Would would you say that that that's sort of our our new normal that we have right now is that there's all these sources of of data, but maybe not any of those are relevant to the actual problem that you're trying to solve. And we what we what we have in this complex business world a, a, as an issue is far simpler that that maybe we don't know the issue we're trying to solve. I think you you not only hit the nail on the head, but I think that, you know, so often I get asked, like, aren't you just going to have your job taken away by a machine that's way smarter than you and could process way more information than you? You've got, you know, data scientists on, you know, across the street at Walmart's home office. You've got, you know, AI and all these companies doing absolutely amazing stuff. But again, if you don't know, A, what you're going to solve for, but a, a different way to solve for it, if taking your baseball analogy there's there's baseball's the greatest statistical sport in the history of our country right everything's been measured now it's getting of course even better but when did they put on the shift right when did they take the shortstop put him on second take the second baseman put him in right field someone came up like they had the math 
Tony Gwynn always hits it. Like not Tony Gwynn. He always hit the five, five hole, but you know, if 90% of the hits go to right field, well, let's just, someone had to go, let's just put the second baseman in right field and put the shortstop at second. We'll put third baseman at shortstop. That's the kind of stuff that human, you know, interaction thought process, um, just, just having a creative mind is a big enough solution for so much of it. But James, I think there's so many people that start a process the same way, you know, the, what got you here won't get you there. And they just keep ramming their head into that same wall going, nah, I'm just going to keep doing the same thing. And it's like, and then someone goes, Hey, put them in, put them in right field. And everybody's like, what? I should have thought about that. So sometimes it's, it's about saying, what, what can we do that hasn't been done? What, what theories do we have? I know you guys have told me we can't do that, but let's, let's just go sh try it. Right. So I think you're absolutely right. I think the, the, the overwhelming amount of information can seize people, right? It can, it can put people in a paralyzing situation. And what I try to do is use information to the benefit of the theory and strategy I want to go after. So I, I'm much better at going and saying, Hey, I need, this, this, and this. I have a salesman uh, who I work with is brilliant at that. It is, I know that there's the ocean, but I need those three fish. And we jump in the water and go get his fish for him. So um, I, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's almost a more intellectual thing than the amount of information available, which some people think is intellect, but it's not. We, it, right. Exactly. That seems to be the re the reverse logic that you know, why, why would I, I trust your Excel breakdown that you have here when I've got a team of 30 MIT graduates, you know, doing computer magic uh, to answer this question for me. It, it's the, the counter is actually far more, not just intuitive, but productive and uh, better at, at solving solutions. And, and it brings up an, an, an interesting follow-up question. All of these technological advancements, and you referenced so many of them that are now providing us with that data, AI, the integration of video technology um, into the space of retail analytics, um, kind of both as providing new analytics and also as a verification of other analytics. There have been upgrades in data management, database management, data illustration and uh, visualization tools. Are these tools more, in your opinion, more of a recognition of a market and a great opportunity for some really smart people to make some really cool tools and make a lot of money? Or have you seen that there have been, you know, technological or, um, you know, different products introduced into this space that have truly profoundly improved the amount of insights that we are able to gain from this information. So I'll, here's the analogy I'll give you. I get, a, you know, about once every year or two, we get asked to rethink our third party data provider, right? And so we get six companies to come in and every one of them is PT Barnum. Every one of them has got this amazing, you know, visual impact. They've got, you know, consumer user interface. Everything is absolutely amazing. It is absolutely amazing. But what I tell them is the, the, it hits the road when people use it on a daily basis. Right. So I think there's been plenty of amazing stuff that's come out, right. Field agent does some amazing work, uh, right here in Arkansas using, uh, crowdsourcing, um, you know, 
consumers going in and taking visual cues for the information you're looking for. So if you're constantly wondering why things are not working out for you in the Southern Atlanta market, you can have field agent at drop of a hat. They will have 30 people in the entire store and in 30 minutes, you've got, oh, that's what's happening. There, There's no more stores there. They those stores don't exist or whatever the output is, right? Um, so there's there's plenty of them that are great. I think that the, and this is gonna probably be a little strong, the malaise that a lot of people who work in corporate America have, the, the difficulty of all that information coming in makes it very easy for outside, third party companies to go, well, I can make a whole lot of money trying to solve this problem. And they all solve a problem, which I'll be honest, is primarily fear-based. Right. There's too much information. So if you can funnel it through a straw, then I can go and deliver that output to my leadership and be like, see, the straw said to do this. And too many people are, you know, not comfortable enough saying, I see your Fabergé egg, but I'm going to raise you common sense. Right. I'm going to raise you going to the store. I will tell, uh, I've probably told you this, James, when, when we were together, I tell it to everybody I talk to, I will learn more in a store than I will ever learn from third-party information, right? I'm then in, in inside the walls of where the people are doing the things that they are doing, right? Um, I, I, I just can't imagine not seeing a store and, and, and like smelling it and feeling it. And, you know, if you think about dead poet society, right, he gets them on the tape on top of the table and says, look at the world this way. So when, when I'm working on a product that is based for children, why am I going to be walking around in my five, nine and a half uh, frame and not looking at it from a child's standpoint, right? If I'm trying to build a store to make it more accessible to a child's wonderment to purchase products from mommy and daddy, the reality is I want to be thinking like them, right? So my old buyer would say, well, they don't have jagged things come out that might like poke them or like, right? Think about how they they walk into a store. Think about how they knock products over. Think about what things they want, right? Um, so I think there's, there's beautiful things out there and I don't disagree. I probably could see a hundred of them tomorrow, James, and all of them I wish I could have, have the time to learn have the intelligence to use it when it's necessary to use it, have other people understand the background as to how it was built, executed in the output. But sometimes taking a picture inside the stores saved me 10,000 words and millions of hours of work for people to go, oh, that's why. Not to mention millions of dollars, likely. It's likely saved you millions of dollars because rather than uh, you know, do a deep dive on some tool that is providing you a constant video stream of that store in Southern Atlanta. We just went to the store to to figure it out and <laughs> and you know realize that um, well you know n- nobody walks to this side of the store for X reason or or for Y reason, but it does lend the question that is is you know a little less well. I would say, you know, there's a balance when it comes to mass merchants, but definitively for, you know, B2C online consumers, we are now seeing a world that is far more decentralized in terms of how people are shopping, that they are not going to a physical location. How do you incorporate that experience on places that you can't 
uh, touch, see, or smell because those decisions are being made while someone is, uh, you know, making purchases online. How, how do you take that same mentality into the ever-growing, ever-important world of e-com? Well, I, I mean, that's going to be the next, you know, 15 to 20 years of who's going to make the most money, right? It's, it's getting, we are, you know, amazon at this point where our, you know, knee-jerk reaction to, oops, I need that, and then you just punch it and you go. Um, I think that there's going to be a need to solve for that. Luckily, there's been enough hiccups with the entire system that it's, you know, still most shoppers do still love it, right? There's the treasure hunt mentality. There's seeing new items. There's just getting out and having a, you know, a 30-minute walk with your spouse while you guys shop together on a Friday night. So there's still plenty of that. Now, on your with regards to your question, it's it's going to be very interesting. Now, what I do is I actually use this, this software myself, right? So I go in and every Sunday I put in an order on walmart.com for my groceries. And I'm learning a whole lot about not only I do it because I, you know, I enjoy going to pick up the 30 things I get each week. I still go shopping after that though, right? So it's still a, a behavior I have. But what I'm learning is like, why this is pissing me off. Why this isn't working. This isn't, this isn't making me feel like you guys know who I am. Um, and it's interesting because you're seeing a lot of development there. So you're seeing adjustments in it and, you know, warehouse clubs are doing an amazing job at finding, um, you know, e-com business, not just from business members, but from consumers. So I think it's going to be a, a benefit. I don't know how long it's going to be like, I'll probably be retired by the time it becomes a constant, right. Where my brain can just say, you know, inside of my brain, the chip will, automatically order the things that I didn't even know I didn't know I needed. Um, but it's, it's big business. There, there are at, there are category analysts. There are people out there whose job it is, is to try to figure out, you know, your repurchase rate. They're trying to figure out your, how much online content can I shove to you before you're mad at me for shoving it to you. So I think you're going to find a lot of that. I mean, clearly when you go on, some retailers are far better at it. And what I'm, I'm looking at, you know, I'm pathetic, I guess, and I still look like Vans shoes. And I go on Vans.com about once a month and to see if I can find anything on clearance. They should by now know my behavior pattern, right? Paul's cheap. Paul gets on here. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to shove him discounted Vans. But we're also going to add on T-shirts, right, or something else. So there's a whole lot of work that needs to be done. I think to your answer, though, we are having people now whose job it is. We have someone on our team of six that does e-com, right? And that, that wouldn't have been done 20 years ago, right? You Even when Walmart.com or Costco came online, you you would have just had the salesperson kind of do it five minutes a year. Like, it was no big deal. Now, on a six-person team, we have one person dedicated to uh, Walmart.com. So... It's, it's becoming far more important as a percent of business. It's still extremely low. Um, and that's primarily because I'm in food, right? That's a different business model. If you're talking paper goods or, you know, other things that are a little bit more, I can order it and have it shipped in two days. We're still a consumption-based food consumer. So when I want my avocado, I want it now. So, um, so it's coming along. It's not as it's not as easy as I think people say, right? The revolution of, you know, 1990s with regards to technology and the internet was going to be that there was no such thing as a standing bank, right? And there's more banks around here than I can 
possibly imagine seeing. And that's not just here. That's everywhere you go. Right. So even though you can do things technically and digitally doesn't mean that we all transfer over there. Maybe it's a safety net to still have the physical aspects of it. But um, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm hopefully going to be retired by that time. <laughs> well, so on that note, I think that, you know, the pandemic obviously affected retail in, in so many dynamic ways. I hesitate to even go into it because I think we'd be listing out a laundry list. But for your business, your world in retail analytics, that interruption and, you know, it, 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 was, it was massive and there was a ton of data around how people acted during that, those strange times. How much reliance do you really take in, in what happened in those odd times and, and how we should think about consumer behaviors during the pandemic, coming out of the pandemic? Because, you know, I guess what I'm asking is, was it just weird and we're going to kind of, you know, not act the way that we were acting during COVID because we didn't want to go outside because we were scared we might catch something that could kill us? Or did, has there been trends in consumer behavior in mass uh, merchant sales that are that are here to stay that were expedited by the pandemic? How do you differentiate between the two? Um, you know, like you said, going back to the bank example, there are still Walmart stores. There's going to be more of them, likely. There are still Target stores. There's going to be more of them, likely. Uh, and we're going back into them now. How do you differentiate all those things that were happening in the pandemic and whether they're really worth paying attention to or not? Yeah, that was that was what everybody was sitting around worried about, right? Everybody was sitting around going like, you know, everyone's selling through the roof, right? There was no company. Everybody was out of stock because everybody was buying anything they could find right so it was this this massive chaotic thing there are some things that did change though i think and this is paul scroll's opinion not the world of ocean spray or anybody i represent um some things did change i personally think that you know if you look at going back to latchkey kids and then moving up to the internet what you saw was a transition of learned skills going away in our culture and then the pandemic gave us 24 hours a day for, you know, a year and a half where we just didn't have much to do, right? We all watched Tiger King enough and got all that out of our system and whatnot. But then people started making bread, right? They started learning how to, um, you know, make drinks, right? So you have people now who are absolutely amazing at cocktail parties and things like that. Food, making food was a lost art. It was something that no one wanted to do. We're far too busy. It's not, you know, it's, not effective for me, et cetera. And what, what COVID allowed a lot of people to do is figure out like, I can eat healthy. I can, you know, do it in a reasonably quick time. I only need five ingredients and you're telling me I can have, you know, uh, an amazing chicken dinner. Yeah, absolutely. So to me, I think there was a, a major educational change over the last two to three years that I, I believe will continue because of the pride people get from cooking. Now I'm a cook, so I probably think that a little bit too much, but I think that that transition will will stay with us which will will add another couple of generations of people who take pride in what we used to have in this country right was a craftsmanship and i think food and drink is a craftsman's you know thing that's why we have so many people who are into bourbons and whatever stuff people do um i'm not but um so i think some of that's going to change i think one of the things that i've seen feels like it's going to continue is 
in in analytics, we used to have this thing about how you shopped. And it was like, are you on a quick trip? Are you on a market, like a big basket trip? Are you on your, your pop in and pop out trip? Now there's a trip called, if I see it, I buy it. And that is because we have become a society, most of us, um, especially those who have houses, um, you know, a little bit more so, less so with apartments. If, if you told me that everybody I knew had a case of soda, juice, paper towels, toilet paper, that your garage, your extra room is now a storage facility, you just don't think about it. You don't care, right? And so I think the idea of, especially because I deal with a club a lot, club channel, Costco, BJ's and Sam's, there was this idea that you only went there once a month when you got paid and you, you know, would never go back, right? That was your big fill up trip for the month and you buy your six pounds of mayonnaise or whatever people buy. But I think that if you look at, I love X item, if I see it, I'm, and I know it's a deal, right? As long as you're not paying an exorbitant price, people just feel totally comfortable doing it. I have a refrigerator now in my garage that I got during the pandemic. There is always stuff in the refrigerator that never would have been there before. So um, I think there's a couple of things that we, James, can can see a change that I think is is good, which is value is always king, right? So if that value means I'm buying 24 sodas instead of three, but I don't have to drive to the, the store again, or that I know I have it, that's a that's a value that I think is worth there. And then I think the pride of craftsmanship should should benefit the retail industry for a long time coming because that you know sewing, knitting, art, things that we all learned those things should stay with us because we were falling a little bit behind the pride, you know, train, you know, from the 2000s to the 2015s, it was a very, just move as fast as you can. And then hope by Friday night, you can sit down and have, you know, pizza hut. So hopefully that's the case. The reality is the rest of it's probably too far in the tooth or two. We don't have enough time behind us yet to know if it's going to completely stay. Gotcha. You know, that, that, I think that's a, that's a brilliant answer and it probably is too soon to tell. Uh, but you know, that people are trying to figure it out already. Um, which is, which is where the money's at probably. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now we've been talking in a lot of abstracts about <laughs> insights and a- analytics. I want Paul Sproles's favorite story on when your insights saved the day or made a profound impact, you know, to really uh, kind of encapsulate in a, in a very tangible way, what we've been talking about this entire time. You know, I I think that the, the milk example and about the points of distribution uh, not being the issue, but really supply chain being the issue is a great example, but is there a favorite example of yours on when insights really championed the right decision? So I'm, this is a very prideful Paul Sproles moment. Um, I, am, I, can't, I can't wait. <laughs> uh, I am a true nerd for analytics. I am truly a bizarre cat because I will spend my free time trying to figure out stuff that I want to know that maybe one day will solve a problem, but it might not solve a problem, but I'm still passionate to find that. So why I'm, why I'm bringing that up, there are 28,000 items in juice in the United States of America. We are a juice culture. Um, I didn't know that was that many either. Um, and one of the things that I'm, I'm very passionate about is figuring out 
more about who you are. And, and the reason I say this, James, is um, marketing historically has been a, um, I'm going to probably get in trouble for this. Or it's a lazy way to use funds to try to sell you things, right? That's why we have generations. Generations is a crazy concept, right? You're a millennial and I'm an ex. What does that mean? I'm exactly like the other 85 million people like me. Nope. But it's easy for, you know, companies to go then spend money and say, well, we're attracting the millennial, right? So, and you, all that is based off of the census. Well, the census gives us data by the zip code. I have all that information, right? Everybody's got it. I don't know too many people who are using it. And I deal with a bunch of nerds all day long. So I actually am in, you know, I'm in the process of testing it and running with it. I have people who can now ask me questions and say, you know, tell me about the customer in Rogers, Arkansas. And I will tell you their income levels. I will talk to you about the, you know, um, you know, rule. I talk to you about where they live. I can talk to you about their backgrounds, but I can also then trans transition that into actual POS, actual sales data. And I can say whether or not it matters, right? So we can all say that, you know, certain demographic age group income level act like this. And then we use that as a national level to come out with a product. And I can say, we have 72 stores that look and act the exact same as Rogers, Arkansas, spread across the country based off of their zip code level information and say, this is the, uh, you know, this is the opportunity gap for us to go get. So in moments, I'm able to then take all the information that, that comes at me. And instead of saying, well, the, you know, hundred percent juice customer is this, right? Well, it's 80 million people. You're telling me that I can only talk to you about you at one level. No, I'm going to talk to you at the zip code level. So I'm going to tell you by item where you live, what are the things that, you know, we can do to help Walmart, Costco, BJ, Sam's club, Albertsons, put a better assortment of products together to solve the problems in that community. Now, it's still not perfect, right? I still don't have James's DNA and your mentally uh, odd theories on, you know, what juice you're going to use, you know, for whatever time of day it is, right? We all still have those emotional things that, you know, happen to us. But the closer I can get to walking up behind you and going, hey, James, James, I know you want grape. Like I can, that's a, that's a much more articulate spend than James, you're, you're a 30 plus year old millennial. You enjoy X. You're like, no, I don't. So that's the thing right now where I'm able to then use, you know, talk to my uh, salespeople. I'm able to talk to the accounts and say, I think that I've got theories that are going to help you figure out what actual items you can promote in your store at what times that make the most sense. Um, and so I'm extremely excited about this. It's, it's been a year in the making, uh, for me to work through 28,000 some odd items, as well as all of those zip codes and creating the, you know, indexes that I want in order to say, I feel comfortable saying that this shopper is different than this shopper in these areas, but not in these areas. So it's, it's going to help really refine the focus. It's going to make sure that we don't ship pallets of product to support a consumer who loves tropical to the wrong stores and then we don't sell enough of it and then everybody's mad that we're not selling enough of it. Um, it's not efficient for us. It's not efficient for Walmart. It's not efficient for consumers who really wanted mango. It's like, my bad. I just assumed you were a millennial. So you love tropical. 
So, um, so I'm, I'm super pumped up about this. This is something that I will probably never share with anyone because I'm a selfish, I'm just joking. Um, I'm, ex I'm super excited about that. It's gonna be a lot of fun to, to be able to do some stuff that is, is, is what makes me wake up in the morning. It makes me work till eight o'clock at night. Cause I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. So that's what I'm doing right now. And it's working out in the few tests that I've put out. And I think I've gotten some pretty positive feedback about it. Well, congratulations. Exciting stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> From one nerd to another. <laughs> no, I, 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 th those, I think that it would blow people's mind that those insights are there. And on the flip side, you did it right. It, it goes back to the root of what we were talking to. You didn't do it by um, introducing some AI program into uh you know, a mass retailer that sorted through 9 billion points of data per second in order to come up with it, you look people up by their zip code. And I think that that gets to really the theme we are going for in this, this conversation, this episode, why it is such an interesting industry, because yet technology, you know, natural technological improvements, in my opinion, this millennial's opinion, are a good thing. Um, you know, the iPhone isn't bad because I spend more time flipping through social media on it. It's still an amazing tool. I need to not flip through, you know, social media as often as I do. That's not an iPhone. That's the iPhone didn't make me make that decision. There are some yeah. people that might argue that it, it does, but in my opinion, and so on the flip side, when it comes to data and to insights, you know, it's not about the, the space age technology, it's about the problem that we're trying to solve. And that's uh, your your key phrase. I, I, I won't steal the trademark from you on the podcast. But, Paul, any, any thoughts that you want to close on today uh, before we conclude the show? Uh, my hope is, is that people start to feel comfortable with the amount of technology that's coming, right? The reality is, is that you're still a person. You still have ideas. It's okay that there's 3 trillion lines a day that come out of Walmart every single second about everything that could possibly be done. And then you can be overwhelmed with it. The reality is that, and I try to talk to people when I'm training them, I teach at, at a community college, uh, you know, once a, a semester is find your passion within what you do. And the analytics are there to help you solve for that. So some people are like me and I'm a nerd in certain, certain ways. And other people are like, I'm really fascinated by in-store marketing. I'm like, well, make that your thing. Don't be overwhelmed by the idea that there's just too much and I can't do it. And then you end up seizing, like find your passion. The rest of it comes along as soon as, soon as you wake up excited to do whatever you're doing, then all that information is just a super awesome benefit that allows you to then solve for it. But if you're not interested because you're paranoid and seizing at the idea that there's too much technology, you're going to be overwhelmed by that technology. So, it, you know, everybody just like, calm down. You're smart. People love you. It's okay. So that would be my, my final like summation of technology in retail America. Just slow down. It's, it's not that menacing. The leading mind on retail analytics and also your source for daily affirmation Paul Sproles. Paul, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Uh, truly, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. This was a beyond interesting 
conversation. We'll have to do it again uh, sometime. And thank you for joining us on Point of Scale. If you are interested in your organization having its own branded podcast series similar to Point of Scales, visit us at marketscale.com. Once again, thank you, Paul. And for Point of Scale, I'm your host, James Preble. Thanks again. Thank you.